So today we are starting a new worship series that we are going uh, throughout the month of June. And our worship series for the month of June is called Mosaic. Um, when we are planning worship series, we, there's a few different things that we want to consider as we're choosing what we are wanting to talk about for any period of time. And that is like, hey, what do we actually care about talking about as pastors? We're not going to choose something that we're not really excited about talking about. Um, there's, hey, what does our community, what do we feel like our church community needs to hear in this time as well? And then there's this third consideration of how are we trying to form people? Like, like what are the practices or what are the, what are the values that we are wanting to instill and reinforce in our people? And how can we use a worship series, a dedicated amount of time to be able to reinforce uh, or teach on those things? Um, another thing that is happening at this very moment, though, is uh, one of our strategic initiatives for the year that lands on my shoulders as one of the three pastors of the Grove as a whole is to figure out a rhythm for types of worship series for every single year. And so it's like, well, what are the types of things that we want to be emphasizing every single year? And when do we want to be emphasizing those types of things? So uh, as it turns out, June, at the beginning of summer, is going to be one of these times when we spend the month of June talking about and reinforcing and um, just kind of digging in the depths of our values as a church and say, all right, well, well, we talk about these things all the time, but what do we actually mean when we talk about them? What does it look like for us to actually do these things that we say we highly value? So that's what this series Mosaic is all about. Mosaic, this series that we're going just this, this month of June, is uh, leaning into our value of expanding our circle of inclusion. You often hear this from me every week, at least once. Um, it's in those worship handouts. It's all over our website. It's on the wall in the, in the commons area. We're constantly putting this in front of you. And yet we wanted to spend four weeks to say, all right, what do we actually mean when we talk about expanding our circle of inclusion? Um, when we say we want to grow both in number and in kind, what on earth are we talking about? What does that growth look like? How do we actually go about doing this? And so uh, we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about the different groups that we're trying to expand with. And uh, next week is Pride Sunday. Woohoo! So we're be talking about the LGBTQ community. And uh, in, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, different abilities. And then in three weeks, we're going to be talking about um, racial inclusion and justice. Today, however, we're going to kick it all off with intergenerational ministry. Um, the thing about mosaics, are you familiar with mosaics? What a mosaic is? This is where having a big screen behind me is really helpful. And I can't, I, I have to paint the picture for you instead of showing you up on the screen. A mosaic, if you're unfamiliar with it, or if you just need to get it back in your mind again, a mosaic is a piece of art that's made up of a bunch of uh, seemingly random pieces. They might be uh, different types of materials. They might be different colors, different shapes. And yet they are, uh, if the artist is doing it, is his or her job well, uh, they're organizing them meticulously, uh, tediously taking the time and energy and investment to do this messy work of bringing all of these seemingly random things together and making this beautiful picture as a result. 
And so as we think about expanding our circle of inclusion in these different areas, we, we want to be thinking about uh, this work as like mosaic work, that it is tedious, that it is hard, that it is meticulous, it takes time and energy and investment. Uh, but if we're doing it well, the end picture is going to be really beautiful. And the process is, is hopefully really beautiful too. So that's the one picture that's, that's maybe a little bit more difficult to imagine without being on a, a screen behind me. The second image that I want you to have in your mind today, though, as we talk about and, and think about intergenerational community is um, of a tree. I have a feeling you might have a little bit better idea of how to, to imagine a tree <laughs> as we're standing out here in the grove, as the church, the grove, surrounded by all these beautiful trees. So um, I want you to think about the church, the church, the big church, as a tree. A tree is a living organism. A tree is not a uh, piece of, uh, it's not a stone, it's not a pillar, it's not this monolith thing that is um, just as it is, unchanging, like one flat piece. A tree is an organic thing that has many different pieces, and all of those pieces are important to the life of the thing. And if any of those things are out of whack, if any of those pieces are not in place, it is detrimental, it impacts, it's, um, it makes the, the life of the tree that much more difficult or unlikely even. So as you think about the, the life of the church being like a tree, I want to raise up two facts to you also about the life of the church as a whole. Number one is that the church as a whole, especially in the United States, is in decline. The majority of churches in our country, um, and largely in the, the Western Hemisphere, are small and getting smaller and are getting older. This is, this is not something new. Uh, this trend has been happening at least for 25 years as you look at all of the study, all of the data. Uh, fewer and fewer people are participating in organized religion, uh, which means these churches are getting smaller because fewer people are participating in them. And among those shrinking churches, the percentage of people within those churches, the percentage, the age range within those churches is getting higher, which means these smaller churches are slowly getting older and older. Now, ministry to specific groups of people and even and especially around generation generational difference like that's important and that can be really helpful right because it, as we're in different generations we have different needs i'm not talking about that what i am instead talking about is the slow decline over time that is not paid attention to and all of a sudden you notice something as you look at the tree the roots might be really strong right they might be really big trees that have been there for a long time and have potentially a lot to contribute. But then as you look at the branches and the limbs, over time, they slowly seem to be getting thinner and thinner and thinner. If it's a flowering tree, you might notice year over year that there are fewer and fewer leaves and fewer and fewer blooms. And as you see those things happening, what you are noticing is that the, the life and vitality of that tree, even as the roots are there and the roots are strong, the life and the vitality are, are slowly draining out of it. That does not speak very well for the long-term health of 
a tree, right? It also does not speak very well for the long-term health of a church. Can we agree on that? This is a problem. So that is one thing to acknowledge that's going on. Uh, there is, however, another thing that is going on, and, and largely it is in response to this thing. So there are people who have said, you know, that is a problem, and so what we need to do is we need to, we need to start new churches or completely reorganize the churches we ha have around attracting the young people at all costs. I have had pastors tell me, this is not a joke, straight out of their mouths, that we need to attract young people. And in order to do that, again, this is straight out of people's mouths, straight out of pastors' mouths. Our competition is not other churches. Our competition is the Mall of America and Netflix. And so what we need to do to get the young people is to be as entertaining as the Mall of America or Netflix. And if that is your, if that is your focus, if that is your investment, like you, you reap what you sow, right? Talking about growing things. If that's, the, if that's what you want to, to invest in and try to get out of, uh, many of the churches that make that investment, they try to attract, they do all the things to attract the young folks, the youths. Um, they have young churches, Many of them have lots and lots of young people in them. And yet what they are often missing are, they have all these young people, but they're missing the older generations. So if you think about a tree, from the outside, these might look like a vibrant, flowering tree, right? All of these beautiful leaves, all these beautiful blooms in the spring, and yet it's like a tree that's like leaning over like this because the roots haven't been established. And as, as vital and vibrant as it looks, because the roots aren't there, that doesn't speak very well to the long-term viability of this tree, does it? And it doesn't speak very well to the long-term viability of a church, does it? Can we agree that this is a problem? Yes, it is a problem. Who's depressed? There are many people who look at these studies, look at these churches, both those who are declining and those that are seemingly thriving. They look at these trees in their current situations and say, this is depressing. I don't know what to do about this. Maybe we should just give up on it. Um, I am here to give you good news. It does not have to be this way. And the other good news, it has not always been this way. 2,000 years ago, the earliest followers of Jesus who were starting the church from just a handful of people, from the very beginning, they recognized that they needed to expand their circle of inclusion, including around generational community. From the very beginning of the church, they, understand, they understood that this was a need. And what it meant was, even though it was hard and meticulous work that they had to pay attention to, it has meant that in some capacity, the church, in all its messiness, has continued for 2,000 years. So one of the first people that understood this and, and got this and went about this, this planting work of these types of churches was a guy named Paul. Um, Paul and I have a great many disagreements on a great many things, um, but, but Paul was a really helpful person in the history of the church. Um, Paul initially was not a follower of Jesus. He actually was pretty set against those who were following this Jesus character. He was one of the persecutors of them, oversaw some of their deaths even. And yet at some point he had this experience of, 
uh, of the love of Jesus and the grace of God for himself. And it was so compelling, so exciting that he couldn't keep it to himself. And so what this Paul did was he ended up traveling throughout the Roman Empire, almost across the whole Roman Empire, stopping in individual towns and cities and planting churches. But as he did this, he did not set himself up as leader. Instead, what he did was he went into those towns and he found other people who could lead. He found the village elders who had the, uh, the experience, who had the expertise, who had the stories, who had the deep roots of resilience over decades, gave them authority, and also raised up younger leaders who had the, uh, the energy, maybe, to be able to go out and grow this thing even more, working on both of those things at the same time. And fortunately, uh, he was a prof- prolific writer. So as he traveled, he would write back to these churches and, and the leaders who were, were leading them. And we get to do a little bit of like reading other people's mail when it comes to Paul, because many of his letters get included in our Bible. And we're going to read from one right now, which is in the book of First Timothy, And he's writing to one of his leaders, who's a younger guy named Timothy. And this is what he says to Timothy. Uh, This is in Timothy 4, 11 and uh, 5 through 8. Command and teach these things. Let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers in your speech, conduct, love, faithfulness, and purity. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you have, given to you and confirmed by prophetic words when the elders laid hands on you. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that everyone will see your progress. Be conscientious about how you live and what you teach. Persevere in this because by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who listen to you. Do not address an older man harshly, but appeal him, appeal to him as a father. Speak to younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with complete purity. Honor widows who are truly in need, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should first learn to fulfill their duty towards their own household and so repay their parents what is owed them, for this is what pleases God. But the widow who is truly in need and completely on her own has set her hope on God and continues in her pleas and prayers night and day. I could go on, but um, we're going to stop it there. I don't think you need to know a whole lot about how to treat widows half the world away in the first century. Um, So here's what's going on here. Paul is writing to this leader that he has uh, raised up in this city of Ephesus, and his name is Timothy. And one of the things that you can do with some of these letters, it's called mirror reading. We only get half of the conversation, right? And so what, what you can do with these letters is you can see, well, Paul is responding to this thing, which means there was a concern going on in the background. So Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Why does he say that? Someone was looking down on Timothy because he was young. We don't know much about Timothy. We don't know exactly how old he is. Uh, There's scholars who say that he was in his, like, mid to late teens. And then there's other scholars who say that he was in his mid to late 30s. It's kind of a big gap. Uh, But in any case, he was on the young end. 
And at, at, apparently, people in Ephesus, not everybody in Ephesus was happy about this younger guy who was going around and teaching and, and, and saying these things. And so Paul leans in and says, listen, don't, don't allow them to treat you this way. You have these gifts. You have this calling. Bloom, my friend. Bloom. Lean into it. You have something to contribute and it is going to help this church grow, and you are going to grow and thrive in ways that you can't even fully understand. Don't, look, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. But then he also swings back, and he starts talking about the older people in the community. Listen, they have much to teach you as well. They are the story bearers. They have been here before. You have much to learn and grow from them as well. They are the ones whose roots have grown deep, have felt the winds and adjusted their roots to be stronger on the windblown side. If you pay attention to them, you and this community will grow stronger and more vital and vibrant because of it. Both of them are important for the life and vitality of not only him as an individual, but for the church as a whole. Uh, so spring is a time when there's a lot of yard work going on. Um, often that yard work is not in my own yard because I've got a lot going on and I'm kind of lazy too. I look at things out my window and think I should do something with that and then I don't do it. But my neighbors tend to do a whole lot of work. And uh, we have one neighbor in particular who when he gets set on something, he goes at it like really hard. So a couple years ago, apparently he decided that he was going to take down a tree in his backyard. This is a tree that is about 10 feet from our fence line. And it, it's like you can look at it directly out one of our sunroom windows. It's like right there. It looked like a super healthy tree to me. I don't actually know a whole lot about trees or about the health of trees. It looked fine to me, right? Uh, but he decided he was going to take it down, and it's not my tree, his tree, he can do what he wants. Um, well, apparently he didn't want to just cut it off down low and have a stump. So the, the first plan was apparently to bring his SUV in the backyard and take a tow strap and strap it to the tree and then strap the other end of the tow strap to the back of his SUV, and he was just going to rip the thing out of the ground. Well, I saw this going on out our, out our sunroom window, and I was not sticking around to see what happened. So we actually left, and we came back. I don't know what happened, but I know that the tree was still there with the tow trap attached to it, and his SUV was not still there. Okay, so that didn't work. That didn't accomplish the purposes that he wanted. Uh, so after that, what he did, again, he doesn't want it apparently as a stump. He brought out his pole saw. And he took off like every single limb. So at the end of this work, what we've got here, again, just like in his backyard, but 10 feet away from ours and looking out our sunroom window is this trunk with nothing on it that is, I don't know, 10 feet tall, just this bare trunk. And you could even easily look at it and be like, look at that dead thing. What on earth could this thing contribute? But guess what? Life finds a way. And soon after that, and then last year, and again this year, what do you think starts happening? Shoots. 
Shoots start coming out the bottom of the tree. Shoots start coming out the side of the tree. Shoots start coming out the top, which has been cut off. These beautiful green shoots with leaves coming out of them, right? Because the roots were still there. The roots were still there. After all of those years of growth and development and like developing that resiliency, the roots were still strong. They were still bringing the nourishment up that trunk. And that was providing the shoots that were not yet there with the life and vitality to grow something new. I, I like to look out that window. I just looked out that window yesterday as I was finishing up this sermon and then added it into the end of my sermon because I was thinking that tree is teaching itself about growth and resiliency. It's teaching the other trees in the yard about what it means to grow and be resilient and to be full of life. And it's teaching me too about what it means to grow and be resilient and be full of life. The church does not have to be in decline. The church does not have to be all roots and no branches. The church does not have to be all bloom and no roots. It can be those two things at the same time. It can be an intergenerational community. And guess what, folks? We've got that going here. Doesn't mean we're doing it perfectly. We could do better, but we have these stories that can and ought to be told about what this looks like just as a part of our small and young and, and growing community. So, so two stories, really quickly. Um, one is from one of our older partners. And uh, this story is from last spring, last May. Uh, we had not yet come outside. We were inside still, and um, we had an, an event after church that was Sunday, Sunday. S-U-N-D-A-E, Sunday. You remember this? We had the big ice cream bar. We had it all lined up. So after the service, everybody comes out of the worship center and they dig into the ice cream bar. And uh, I sat down with this person at one of the, the tables just outside the worship center and we were watching what was going on. And the adults are talking amongst each other. The kids are running around like crazy because they're hopped up on all the, the sugar from the ice cream and all the toppings. And she was just sitting there with this huge smile on her face. And she said, this just brings me so much joy. I'm so happy that I get to be a part of this. She was not sure about this whole new church thing. But then she said to herself, she said, uh, as if God were telling her, you're the only one who's going to miss out on this. And she is now full of joy because of the, the young people who are now coming through, running through her midst, almost knocking her over all the time. That's one story. The other story comes on the other end of the spectrum. This is a story of a conversation I had from some of our younger partners, one of my first times spending time with them. And um, they're in one of those demographic groups that is apparently leaving the church because they have no interest in organized Christianity. And so my question is like, well, why on earth are you interested? Why are you here? What do you love about the Grove specifically? And what they said, they did not say, oh, I love all of the young people. What they said was, we love this is a truly intergenerational community. That there are people, younger people like us who we can maybe connect with because they have similar life stage and, and other concerns like us, but there are older people as well who can teach us things. Again, like, 
This is a learning curve that we're on. This is a growth point. This is something that we can continue to, to lean into. It's, it's not something that we're perfect at. And yet it is that slow, meticulous, tedious, sometimes messy work of paying attention to the artwork that we're putting together and saying, how can we do this better? Celebrating and encouraging the gifts of people on the, the older end of the spectrum and the young. How can we grow deep roots and branches and blooms as well. So that is my prayer for us as a community, that we can be a community that has those deep roots, that also has these uh, strong trunks, that has these uh, spreading branches, that has this coverage, that can provide this, this place where people outside of the church of all generations can come and experience the grace of God in community. May that be so.